Hi, everybody. This is Christian Cisan. Welcome you back to the August edition of the Third Fridays podcast. If you remember last month, we talked about uh, our recent wins across the firm. We had our largest panel ever, four different attorneys coming on to talk about wins that they have uh, received uh, either through trial or appeal. And uh, it really showed that COVID hasn't stopped us. Thankful to be healthy, and we're thankful to be providing great results to our clients. Um, and in that same vein, this month's podcast is uh, another show of our growth. Uh, the mock trial program uh, is entering its third annual competition this year. Uh, we have four sets of finalists, and today's podcast uh, shows two attorneys uh, who are part of uh, that finalist group. So, welcome to the show, uh, Christopher Major and Bailey Ott. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And, pleasure uh, as always. Yes, uh, of course, Mr. Major, you've been a, a very frequent guest on the podcast, and, and Bailey, you actually uh, on last month's show. Uh, do you guys feel like you you have the podcast like recording gig down? Christian, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Major, you, you snake charmer, you. Um, <laughs> I can also welcome to the show last year's champion uh, for the Paralegals, Nicholas Fortino. Uh, welcome. Pleasure to be here well, as always. Welcome, Nicholas. <laughs> and of course, uh, Director of Training Alicia White is on, but she's going to remain silent and just basically grade everybody during this whole process. So that should be fun. Um, okay, so the first part of the podcast is the trivia stage. And we did a coin flip. Bailey chose to go second uh, in trivia after Chris picked the rebuttal side, the employer and carrier side for the oral argument. So here are the rules for trivia. You each will get two questions. The questions are of differing point values. They are either one point, two points, or three points. When you answer the question correctly, you will get that point total. If you don't answer it correctly, you won't get any points for that question, and you also won't get any negative points. However, the other person has a chance to steal, and they can get the points for that question if they get it correctly. But if they choose to steal and miss the question, they get negative points. There's a little bit of strategy involved with uh, choosing the point value and deciding whether or not to steal if your opponent gets it correct or incorrect. Chris, would you like a one point, two point, or three point question? Christian, what kind of lowest attorney would I be if I didn't go for the jugular right out of the gate? Uh, it's, gotta, it's gotta be the three pointer even if it's a spectacular failure. <laughs> Chris is trying to hit all the uh, bonus point check marks on, on the uh, rubric. Uh, I always yeah, do. Let's let's give him a, a three-point special and, and make him uh, rue the day he chose to challenge us. Okay. Uh, three-point question for Chris Major. Um, what or where was the claimant's work location? That would be 851 Phony Boulevard uh, in the Bronx, New York. That is correct. That is an amazing response. What a way to kick off trivia. That's three points for Mr. Major. All right. Ms. Ott, 
Would you like a one point, two point, or three point question? You know, let's let's go. Uh, let's go. Two three points. points. Three point. Oh. <laughs> I think a two point question is a solid strategy. Uh, so Nick, let's uh, let's give her uh, the next question. Okay, two point question for Bailey. Um, what was the name of the IME? Dr. James Doctor. That is also correct. So two points for Bailey. Chris leads three to two. Your final question, Chris, would you like a one, two, or three? Well, in terms of strategy, the best Bailey can do at this point is tie me uh, if she goes for a three-pointer on the second round. So I'm going to go for the two-pointer. Okay, interesting strategy, interesting. She could actually overtake you if she steals this question and then gets her own question. But uh, I still like the two-point question strategy overall. Nick, give Chris a two-point question. Okay. Um, what was the name of the investigation company? That would be Gotcha Investigations. Chris is coming to play. He's coming to play. Another two points for Chris, giving his total uh, for trivia to five, with a chance to increase that total if Bailey doesn't get this question right. Would you like a one, two, or three-point question, Bailey? You know, I'm definitely, Chris knowing the address <laughs> was something, but you know, I've got to shoot my shot. I'll go for the three-pointer. Hell yeah. Get my air ball, you know? <laughs> Nick, let's give Bailey a three-point question. All right, three-point question. Here it comes. What was Tim Kaine's title in prompt number two? Oh, geez. I know he was on the panel. I want to say he was like the adjuster, settlement coordinator. What's your final answer? I'm going to go like settlement adjuster, settlement coordinate adjuster. <laughs> that is incorrect. I had a feeling. Chris, would you like to steal? Um, I if hope you choose this to steal and you get it wrong, you will lose three points. I hope to God this is prompt number two, but I remember it, I remember it sticking out uh, when the the emails were coming out as like a kind of WTF moment, so to speak. Uh, is it president slash treasurer of the Eric Prides fan club? That is correct. Let's go. Three points for Chris Major, bringing his total for trivia to eight. Bailey has two points for trivia. No, Guys, I didn't get shut out. <laughs> Guys, keep in mind that uh, this is just added to your overall point total for the entire program. So trivia is not going to make or break your final score. It's obviously a nice little fun aspect of the mock podcast. The real aspect of the mod podca mock podcast is the appeal, uh, oral argument, followed by the rebuttal. And we're going to start with Bailey, who is representing the claimant on this side. Uh, what exactly you have to say regarding the law judge's decision at the trial level? I think the law judge's decision should be um, uh, rescinded in all aspects. I thought 
that the claimants made a perfectly sound case for why there was an occupational disease that he gave proper notice and that there was causal relationship. Um, both the claimant and the employer witnesses in this case testified to what the claimant's job duties were and that those were very repetitive actions, carrying up to 20 pound crates, things of milk going up and down stairs. The employer witness even confirmed that there were no chairs and the claimant would not be allowed to sit um, and that he was told that the claimant had complained of these issues. And in fact, the employer witness also said that they didn't pursue the case any further because the claimant was furloughed that they knew and he called one time and then didn't call back again because he was no longer an employee which just means that they knew exactly what they were doing they had notice and chose not to allow this claimant to pursue his workers compensation claim and it was on the decision that there had to be substantial evidence and in this case there was far superior substantial evidence in favor of the claimant that he had developed this occupational disease as a direct result as confirmed by doctor doctors ime um, that the claimant's repetitive actions had caused this injury, that it had occurred within the two-year statute of limitations under Section 45, and that there was proper notice. So ANCR, or ODNCR in this case, was sufficiently established, so there's that. PFME being rescinded on the fact that there was this video of the claimant dancing, which the investigator could not even confirm. There was no proper authentication in this case. As I quote, the investigator said, I guess it was June. There was no date specific given that this video was taken or that it was authenticated. When it was taken, it was only that it was posted on a Facebook. And as we know, sometimes you still film something and you post it months later down the road. So the fact that this was even found to be fraud when no one can confirm when this video was taken, and that PFME was rescinded based on a video, that doesn't make sense. The bar for PFME is so low that you just need to show that there was some form of causal relationship and that there was a diagnosis other than pain. And in this case, Dr. Fraud's first medical report from March shows that there was a diagnosis and that it was related to the claimant's job. So this case should just be rescinded and sent back. And when you go look at the other factors of this case, unrelated wage loss, how can that be? The claimant stopped working due to these injuries. And the fact that they're trying to throw this furlough program out there, the claimant even said it wasn't it wasn't clear what was going on with this. And, and when they applied for furlough, the claimant testified that but for his injuries, he would be willing and ready to work. He wants to work, but his injuries are keeping him out of work. So there should, not only should this decision be rescinded, but there should also be awards that were put in place as my claimant's been out of work since March. Okay. A lot to tackle there. Let's actually address some of those issues. First, with, with, with the surveillance not being authenticated as one of your arguments, didn't the claimant testify that it was him in the surveillance video? Why do I need uh, the investigator to testify to its authenticity based on a particular date if the claimant admits that it's him in the video? If it was him in the video last June, that's before he's alleging he was aware of his condition, which means that it has no relevance on this case whatsoever. So the date is extremely important. I think if the claimant admits that it's himself on the video and the activities that he's doing in the video are definitely relevant, and which is why the law judge came to the decision that PFME was rescinded, right? Because the history provided by the claimant to that particular doctor in, inform that doctor of activities of daily living in which he could not do. Is, doesn't the judge have the discretion 
to credit or discredit the witness and therefore impact the ability of doctors to make a causal relationship opinion? The, the law judge does is the credibility fact finder in this case, but if you look at the overall evidence in this case, you, we keep kind of going back to the same thing. The claimant was, I did identify himself in the video, but again, if I danced in a video three years ago and I'm claiming an injury from March, what, do, what does my video from three years ago have anything to do with why would you be discrediting my doctor? Well, I think that the claimant has a, an affirmative obligation to be truthful to his doctor, right? And if he does not disclose that, I think the judge is free to credit that. But let's 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 talk about the furlough program. So the furlough program, what I mean, what did the law judge find with respect to unrelated wage loss? Well, the I believe the law judge had found that it was unrelated due to the fact um, that there what the employer did not provide sufficient proof that any wage loss would be unrelated to the accident. Right. So. If the law just found in your client's favor, right, why does the furlough program have anything to do with the compensability of the case? Or aren't we really focusing on the rescission of PFME here? Right. It's more just, I guess, I should, it shouldn't have been rescinded in totality because this was found in my client's favor. Um, but it really just goes to the fact that it should be sent back down based on the ODNCR finding and that there should be awards. And are you worried at all if it does get sent back down that have a, uh, essentially a revisiting of fraud? Because that was also in the claimant's favor. And if we were to rescind that decision and remand it back to uh, the trial level, presumably, or maybe in front of a different law judge, are you worried that it would open the claimant up to possibly criminal penalties? No, because no one has authenticated this video. And I believe my claimant was uh, testifying truthfully that sometimes he does dance, sometimes there are good day, better days, not necessarily good days. And the, the video is already there. It's unjust to just not allow my client to have his case established based on this video. He needs his like day in court to establish the case that's been caused by his work. Well, he had his day in court. He lost. Improperly. There was substantial evidence and it should have been found in his favor, which is why we're here on appeal. Okay, Ms. Al, I've, I've noted your arguments. Uh, Mr. Major is here on behalf of the employer and carrier. Uh, can you tell me why uh, the law judge was correct in disallowing the claim and also give me any uh, appeal arguments that the employer and carrier may have? Sorry, you um, cut off just a bit at the end there. Uh, give any appeal arguments, what? That your client would have based on the ah. notice of decision, if any. So, uh, your honorable commissioner, it is the carrier's position that the uh, disallowance of the claim should be affirmed. Uh, but if the disallowance of the claim is overturned, it is further the carrier's position that any um, wage loss should be deemed unrelated. 
uh, if it's not deemed unrelated, then it is still the carrier's position that uh, the claimant violated Section 114A, and both the mandatory and discretionary penalty should be imposed as a result. Uh, so let's turn first to uh, disallowance of the claim. We have our three basic components of any compensable claim in New York, right? Occupational disease, notice, and causal relationship. Uh, we have the law judge explicitly indicating in uh, his decision, in his reserve decision, that the claim was disallowed on the basis that he found the carrier's witness to be more credible than the claimants. The, the decision literally says, and it's disallowed on this basis, on the issues of occupational disease and notice. Who better than the finder of fact at the trial level is in a position to assess witness credibility and draw reasonable inferences therefrom? Uh, for, for the board panel to overturn this, uh, when the law judge had the opportunity at, over the course of a two and a half hour trial, mind you, to assess witness credibility and ask questions and cross-examination and direct examination, why would we overturn that determination? And furthermore, uh, the carrier's witness did testify credibly. Uh, they testified that the claimant had never evidenced any um, evidenced any pain, uh, restricted movement, uh, wincing. Uh, he had never said that he was hurt. He had never complained to coworkers that he was hurt. He had never asked for work accommodations. Uh, so, where if you're operating under Section 45, um, as uh, counsel indicated, uh, if the employer does not have actual notice of the injuries, then the claimant was required to submit written notice and failed to do so. Um, so we have a credibility determination as to the carrier's witness working against uh, the claimant. As to causal relationship, let's turn back to the finding of PFME itself for one moment. Uh, counsel is right. It's a very relaxed standard, right? Medical report referencing an injury. Um, the diagnosis is injuries. That's that, that if you look at uh, Dr. Fraud's report, I believe it was Dr. Fraud, the diagnosis is literally injuries, not right knee pain, not back pain, not right knee sprain, not back sprain, injuries. And we have a video showing the claimant moving with apparently no difficulty. If he doesn't, if he's not exhibiting injuries on the video, how is a diagnosis of injuries valid? PFME was properly rescinded in, in the carrier's uh, estimation. Uh, as to the authentication issue, number one, uh, this ruling should have been challenged at the trial level if it was going to be preserved for appeal. Um, but beyond that, let's not forget that the claimant is the one that created this virtual rave, invited everyone to it, and then testified regarding its contents. Authentication is a chain of custody issue. Where this comes into play is when a video is taken of a claimant out in the field, and then it's stored on a camera, then stored on a computer, then put on a disc, then given to the carrier, then given to the board. The claimant created a virtual rave and uploaded the contents and then testified regarding them. Even uh, I, the board has relaxed evidentiary standards under the CPLR. Even in civil court, this would be properly authenticated in the carrier's opinion. Um, so it's, the, it's that flowchart of arguments that the claim was properly disallowed. Uh, any wage law should be deemed unrelated. But even if both of those things are resolved against the carrier, the claimant did violate Section 114A. As to the unrelated wage laws, this is the last point I will make. Um, the claimant's last day of work per the C3 is March 21st, 2020. 
literally the day he was terminated. And by the way, not just him, every other employee that failed to apply for the furlough program was terminated on the exact same day. So this isn't some kind of uh, targeting singularly of the claimant. This happened to everyone who failed to comply with the furlough program. The documents were produced at trial. They were testified to by the employer witness. And all of a sudden, April 3rd, here comes the C3 after the claimant went to the doctor on March 30th telling him it could be kind of work-related. I mean, this is this is as much of a Hail Mary nonsense, specious argument as it could possibly get. It's a blatant cash grab. Okay, let's let's address some of that, Mr. Major. You know, if PFME is a relaxed standard, which you can see, right, even if the PFME finding was rescinded, doesn't the board panel have reopening power under Section 123 to look at the medical record as a whole and reinstate PFME here today, then look at the trial testimony and actually establish the case, wouldn't the board have the discretionary power to do that? The board would have the discretionary power, but we're, we're leaving out the component of causal relationship as a foundation of uh, a claims establishment. So if the board overturns the PFME finding, there still has been no finding of causal relationship at the trial level. And what is the board going to determine that based on? Uh, th there were no depositions. Uh, they never got to the point of medical testimony. So the board's just going to make that determination based on the medical reports as they exist without further development of the record. Sure, they have that power, but uh, it would be a, a blatant disregard of the requirements for establishing a claim. And are, are we are we really considering fraud in this case? Is 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 the employer and carrier actually going to appeal fraud knowing that the video was what a minute long? Is that is that possible here? Absolutely, uh, Your Honorable Commissioner. Um, so, again, this is in the alternative. If the claim is disallowed, fraud is a non-issue. And if the wage loss is deemed unrelated, fraud is a non-issue. It, it, it affects the claimant's entitlement to indemnity benefits beyond the criminal penalty, I should point out. But... Um, as noted in every single carrier appeal and in every single board panel decision, the giving of false testimony strikes at the very heart of the judiciary system. And here we have a claimant that goes to an IME in essentially, and the date of the IME we have as June 17th, goes to a June 17th IME essentially of catatonic vegetable. He can't move, his pain's 10 out of 10, he can't get dressed, he can't get changed, he needs a cane to walk, he is functionally an invalid. He yelps when he moves even slightly. And then less than two weeks later, on June 30th, he's dancing, he's twisting, he's jumping up and down, he's wagging his tongue at the camera. Less than two weeks after he was essentially on death's door based on his presentations to the IME. And case law is very clear that misrepresenting the nature of your disability to an IME or an FCE is per se fraud under Section 114A. So the carrier is absolutely pushing this. Okay, I think that's uh, noted uh, for the panel here. Ms. Ott, after listening to Mr. Major's rebuttal, do you have any uh, follow-up uh, based on uh, the arguments raised? Yes, I do. Just a, just a few points, Judge. Um, first, I would like to reiterate the fact that Brad testified to the fact that the claimant told him about the injuries. So there was actual notice, verbal oral notice, as noted in the claimant C3. Um, and the fact that the that Brad didn't see the claimant wincing, as claimant or carrier's counsel has pointed out, means nothing. 
because I'm sure we're all well aware that unwitnessed accidents don't just get thrown out the door because no one saw them. So there was notice, there's medical evidence, there's proof of causal relationship. So the fact that Brad didn't see him wince, even though he was aware that the claimant was complaining of pain, means nothing. Um, and let's also talk about causal relationship because as Carrier's counsel pointed out, there were no depositions. So this claim shouldn't be thrown out the window when we haven't even been able to litigate causal relationship to the degree, degree that we should be. So it should be sent back so we can get the depositions from all of those doctors, especially seeing the IME kit doctor found causal relationship. Um, and with regard to the video, as you pointed out, it was one minute long. And if we all worked out before, and you tell yourself, I can do anything for one minute. We don't know what happened when that video shut off. The claimant could have been crying. Maybe he thought he could do it or he missed his friends or whatever it is, but the claimant danced for one minute. And again, no person has testified, no one has verified when this video was taken. All we have is the date that it was published as June 30th. No one can verify when this video was taken. So I'm still thinking that this should not be 114A based on the fact that no one has authenticated when this video was taped. Um, and sorry, I was taking notes on my on my um, adversary's uh, appeal. It was great, but I do have some points. And the FME definitely should not have been rescinded based on this video, because again, the claimant said why his injuries were heard to the doctor. Brad verified that what he did at work was what the claimant had complained up to the doctor. So the claimant, the employer witness, and the doctor are all aware of what caused this condition. The doctor gave causal relationship. The employer witness said he had noticed. So again, there is evidence, substantial evidence of ODNCR in this case. Hey, thank you, Ms. Ott. Uh, Mr. Major, uh, I don't think we need a rehash or a rebuttal to the rebuttal to the rebuttal, uh, but any final thoughts from the employer and carrier on this case? Uh, yes, just with regard to uh, counsel's indication that uh, the IME conceded causal relationship, it in fact did not. It just provided an opinion of total disability, but did not indicate to what that would be attributable or whether it was work-related. Uh, so there was no concession by the carrier's IME. That is just uh, incorrect. And um, beyond that, uh, uh, the law judge's findings must be upheld at the appeal level unless they are unsupported by substantial evidence. And whether or not, regardless of the contents of the employer's uh, witness's testimony or the claimant's testimony, the law judge made a credibility determination. Where is the claimant's argument that that determination was not supported by substantial evidence? The law judge assessed witness credibility and disallowed the case. And that is the carrier's final thoughts. Hey, thank you to both. Uh, I thought those were well-reasoned arguments, but uh, I mean, we know uh, how we make our uh, bacon here. Uh, obviously, the law judge's decision is going to be affirmed and the case is disallowed. Uh, great job to you guys uh, on a well-done well well, well argument and a good finish uh, to your program. Uh, really, what's left to discuss is how you thought it went. Uh, you know, it's something that I asked Nick uh, to, to kind of help us with at the end of, of his uh, championship run last year. And uh, here he is on um, the committee this year, uh, proving to be a great uh, assist to me as chair. So um, 
Any, anybody have uh, some ideas for how the, pro uh, the program can get better, as well as feedback for how this year's program uh, was for you? Bailey? Um, I would, I have two things that I, I would like. Um, I, I like that the paralegals and the attorneys will take part in this, but I think something that might be good is actually having the para, like your own paralegal work with you because I know from my talk with my own, also thoroughly enjoyed the program. It's, it was teaching moments and it was nice for her to have exposure to other attorneys. But since we do so much work together, sometimes it would be nice to kind of explain some of these concepts to her through my opinion so she gets a better idea of how I work and how I function instead of another attorney's um, perspective on how they do it. I think it would make us a better well-oiled machine if we could kind of work through a case together in a way that sometimes maybe we don't necessarily do when we're actually working because we're working on so many cases at a time. And I would like to, I know in the first mock trial ever, there was a lot more writing components. And I think having a writing component is very important. I think that this round actually could be written when we're doing the appeal in my mind i'm so used to i want to throw out case law i want to throw out standards i want to like rattle off all these facts in like an eight page appeal and like really hammer home all my points that in a in a conversational aspect i don't think you get to shine as well i mean chris did a great job but i think i could have beat him on appeal if i had eight pages and a whole record that i could throw in your face and be like look what your own witness said yeah 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 if uh, there were uh, three of me, then maybe there'd be a written component. <laughs> but uh, very good points. I, I think that's uh, a really good idea to have your own paralegal be part of uh, your team. Uh, we did have that aspect of mentorship in this program to uh, showcase uh, you know, certain attorneys' leadership skills. That's a, that's a, that's a great uh, idea and you know maybe if you do end up winning this program Bailey maybe you can actually implement that for us next year uh, what, what about you Chris any any ideas um, for next year as well as uh, feedback you can give us on how the program went I thought that that was uh, an incredibly astute observation by Bailey actually I had not even considered the possible I thought the idea was to get to know people you don't really know work with people see you know see how the other half lives so to speak uh, and uh, actually, it would be really cool uh, working with Jen on these things. Jen is my paralegal. Um, she takes it very seriously, and it would be very. It would actually be really. Uh, I think. I think it would be an enriching experience for both of us to do that. Now, uh, Nick can shoot me down if I'm wrong here, um, but what is a paralegal's number one problem? Context. Uh, if the paralegal is given uh, a task to do, and the there's no impetus behind the task. It's just merely file this thing on this date and something at all, even in the real practice, something at all deviates from uh, what the paralegal's understanding of that particular task is. It bounces back to the attorney because it has to, right? And it's the same thing here. I think that the biggest floundering we saw uh, from any paralegal teams was when it went off script. The moment it would, the moment it did not get to go in the same flowchart order they had written out on a piece of paper, is when it went off the rails, uh, and I think that that comes back to the point of context. So I mean, 
Greg tells me all the time I sound like his law school civil procedure professor, and ideally I would like to get away from that image, but um, I do think there should be something of an educational component, and I think that could come through what Bailey's talking about, briefing a legal issue, maybe a little more writing. Maybe the paralegals and attorneys sit down and hammer that out together. Uh, As to things uh, things I liked... Definitely um, a looser feel with paralegals more at the forefront and, you know, taking the bull by the horn, so to speak, negotiating settlements, litigating, all that stuff. Uh, I really, really liked how the paralegals were put in the forefront. We got to see some real Lois uh, stars here, uh, and it's it's just a really, in, really good indication of a bright future for our paras. Um, and Christian, I don't think I need to tell you what the one thing I would introduce to a mock trial program is. Risk transfer. Uh, <laughs> where, where is, where is the, where are the third-party issues, my friend? Where? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a guy who uh, knows where his bread is buttered. So uh, <laughs> I, I do appreciate uh, that recommendation as well. Um, I think that uh, you know ultimately the program's a demonstration of uh, you know the continued success uh, of our firm, but also you know just to to share experiences with each other and uh, documenting and going through all this uh, this year uh, to have you guys be part uh, of the, the finalists is really just a job well done, win or lose. So uh, for Bailey Ott, Christopher Major, uh, and uh, my committee member, Nick Fortino, along with Alicia White and Timothy Kane, uh, this is Christian Cezanne reminding you to defend from day one.